as has already been said this evening, we're taking for our studies throughout this year, a study in the book of Ezekiel throughout the year. And this month we come to the chapters, chapters 20 through to chapter 24, under the heading or the title of the visions of the siege and the judgments of Jerusalem. We read, did we know that, chapter 22, the middle chapter of those five chapters there. And I would like to take perhaps a significant verse in that chapter, the verse 30. The verse 30 towards the end of the chapter where it says there, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy. But I found none. I found none. And here we see the looking by God for a man, a man of integrity, a man of honesty, a man who would make up the hedge or the fence and stand in that gap. But amongst his people, the sad answer is that he could find no one, no one of that stature, no one at all. As we've looked through these passages, we have seen perhaps some wonderful things, yet truths perhaps that are so often neglected in this age and generation in which we live. We have noticed that this book of Ezekiel is in reality one that is quite often pushed aside as a book full of difficult passages, passages hard to understand. And rather than get to grips with the truths that are found therein, within its pages, to pray and to study, to see what the message of God is, is found therein, is often ignored and passed over in the pages of Scripture. Peter, if we turn to Peter's epistle in 2 Peter chapter 1, we see there he has a, some verses that relate to the prophecy of God, the, for, the revelation of God. Verses 19, 2 Peter 1, verses 19 down to 21. And he says there, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this thirst, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And here Peter warns us, that we are to be those who do take heed unto the truths that are written therein. There is no possibility. We cannot heed to the truths if we do not even bother to open the pages of the Bible and to read them. For the promise comes, as not from Peter, that when we study, when we read, when we prayerfully look at the scriptures, then it will be unto us as a light that shines in a dark place. And the day will dawn. And a day star will arise in our hearts. Is this not something that we should desire and all look to? To have that day star arise in our hearts? The passage goes on there in that passage there. That all scripture that God has given is really its own interpreter. Scripture interprets scripture. It is not to be interpreted by man. But it was given to holy men. And these holy men spake and wrote down the scriptures as they were taught and moved by the Holy Spirit. That blessed third person of our triune Godhead. So our Bibles, they require obedient study. And the promise of God is that this will result in the reward of enlightenment. Paul also tells us this in the same subject in that second epistle to Timothy. And those well-known words in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. The word of God 
It's given by inspiration of God. And all of it, all of it is most certainly profitable, fit for doctrine, reproof, correction and instruction in righteousness. And once again the word of God gives us that promise, is it not? That the earnest reader, that man, that woman, will be perfect, will be thoroughly furnished, equipped to all good works, the outworking of faith and of good works in the life of the believer. So it behoves us then, and I think it's been said already this year, once already, so it behoves us to be those who are readers, yeah, more than readers, to be those who are studiers of the word of God in this our day and generation, and especially perhaps those hard books, those hard books understand, to prayerfully read them, prayerfully study the Bible. And that refers to this prophecy of Ezekiel 2. I had a quick look through the concordance, and I believe the term, the word of the Lord, appears 62 times in this prophecy. It appears 13 times in these five chapters we are looking at tonight. So really the key throughout the whole of the book is God is speaking. God is saying something. And he is saying, I am Jehovah. I am that covenant-keeping God of Israel. And how we see that he does keep his promises. These promises made to Israel as Moses led them out of Egypt and through the wilderness to the promised land. It is a book of promises, a book of Jehovah. So is a book that exhorts us to listen to what God, the almighty God, Jehovah, is saying in his word. This is not just a word for the nation of Israel, for Judah and Jerusalem in the day of Ezekiel. It did come to them. It was a word for them. It had a message for them in their day and generation. But it is a book that holds a relevance to all through the eons of history. Right up to our very day. And beyond, as Peter says, until the day dawns. We've looked at this young man Ezekiel. And we see he was a prophet and a priest. And in that way, he was something of a foreshadowing, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our prophet, priest and king. We looked at his name, and we've seen his name means God strengthens. And how truly we can see, as we read through the prophecy, God truly did strengthen him from day to day, from year to year. And how we see too, he saw truly sought to lay hold upon God for his strength. And he knew that strength of God, empowering him day to day as he brought a message, a message that was unpopular, a message that wasn't light, as he brought a message to those who came to hear. But isn't that because the word of the Lord came to him? As we've seen on so many occasions throughout his prophecy, he heard the word of God and he sought to be obedient to what God was saying. He sought to do what God told him to do, whatever the cost to him, whatever the cost to him. He sought to do what God said. And we will see something of that tonight as we look for these chapters 20 to 23. We can think the book can perhaps be divided into three sections. It starts at heavenly glory. In chapters 1 and the following chapters, that heavenly glory between the cherubims. And the closing chapters speak of the glory yet to come. But in between, we have this portion that talks about the glory departing. And it's told in a whole number of ways. We've already looked at this in the passage chapters we have read preceding these ones we are studying in the past few months. And here again we see tonight the judgments and the siege of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. This is the city that God had chosen to place his name. Have a look at 1 Kings chapter 11.
1 Kings chapter 11, the verse 13 and the verse 32. And there God is speaking. And he says there, Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my commandment and my statutes. I think I've got the wrong chapter there, actually. Verse 32. Oh, it's 32. But he, he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen, out of all the tribes of Israel. Out of all the tribes of Israel. Oh, verse 13, I was looking at. Verse 13. Howbeit, I will not rend away the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. It's a city that is still, and will always be, chosen of our God. Zechariah speaks about it in his prophecy. Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3, and the prophet says there, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord hath chosen Jerusalem, rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? A brand that has been and will be plucked out of the fire. I would like to look at these portions we've got here, Ezekiel chapter 20 through the chapter 24, and really go through the chapters and pluck out a few verses for our consideration as we go through. So we look firstly then at Ezekiel chapter 20. And here we have really a continuation of a thought we've really looked to in through in previous months. We see the elders of the people of Israel. They've come to Ezekiel to ask him to inquire of the Lord. It seems to be that they come to inquire how long they will be in this state of captivity in Babylon. How long they will be here. And so God replies to Ezekiel that he will not be inquired of by the house of Israel. And tells him instead that the message that Ezekiel must deliver to these elders is that they are in this position because of their rebellion. Their rebellion against God. The rebellion of their fathers. Going right back to the days of the exodus of Egypt. In fact, you do not see the words there, just rebellion. It is an abomination. An abomination, the word is used there. The deeds of the children of Israel have been an abomination to the Lord throughout all their history. Does not Isaiah say in Isaiah 65 verse 1. All day long. Isaiah 65 verse 1. I am sought of them that asked of me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said behold me. Behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people which walked, walketh in a way that was not good, after their own thoughts. And Paul, he takes that same subject up, is he not? In Romans chapter 10, verses 20 to 21, talking again about how God has held his hand out to a disobedient, a rebellious, and a gainsaying people. And so throughout this chapter we see that the pleadings of God of his people started way back in Egypt. Way back in Egypt. That is why he called them or led him out of Egypt, that his name would not be polluted. Would not be polluted. The authority of the children of Israel started way back in the land of Egypt. A fact we do not read of in the account given in Exodus, that they were their idolaters in Exodus. And so as we go back through this chapter, we see that the pleading of the Lord for his people, for his children, children, was to turn from their idolatrous ways, their idolatrous ways in Egypt, to come out, and leave them away. Those abominable ways. But they so often. But how we see through their history. 
they so often turned back to those rebellious and abominable ways, just like the history of the judges. How we read for the judges, do we not? And we see there it's judgment, repentance, deliverance. But in reality, everyone was doing that which was right in his own eyes and not following the commands of a gracious and a loving God in heaven. And so if you now read through this portion of this chapter, how we see recorded for us, do we not, in chapter 20, the sins of the children of Israel from the days of Egypt, through the judges, through the times of the kings, and right up to the time of captivity in Babylon. These times can be summed up, really, in those verses 30 to 32 in the chapter, where Ezekiel says there, Wherefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord, Are ye polluted after the manner of your fathers, and commit ye whoredom after the abominations? For when ye offer your gifts, when ye make your sons pass through the fire, ye pollute yourselves with all your idols, even unto this day. And I shall be inquired of it by you, by you, O house of Israel. As I live, saith the Lord God, I will not be inquired of you. And that which cometh unto your mind should not be at all, that you say. We will be as the heathen, as the families of the countries to serve wood and stone. But God has chosen his people for himself, and they will be a people unto him. And God goes on to say in the next part of the chapter how he will stretch out his hand towards them. As I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out, will I rule over you. He will stretch his hand out towards them. He will gather them in from all the nations from whence they have been scattered. A scattering that really commenced when the Assyrians and then the Babylonians came in and conquered the land and took the people captive. These are those same scattered people or their descendants at least, that Peter writes to in that first epistle of Peter that we will refer to, or the epistles to Peter, where he writes those scattered strangers and writes them to this very self-same city of Babylon. But there will come a day when God will stretch out his mighty hand. This chapter informs us of such a time. His awesome, mighty and just fury will be poured out and he will plead with his people face to face. There he says, and I will bring you into the wilderness of the people, and there will I plead with you face to face, like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So will I plead with you, saith the Lord God, in verses 35 and 36 just there. He will plead with his people, like as a father pleads with his wayward son. He will cause them to pass under the rod, but he will bring them back into the bond of the covenant. That covenant he made with Israel, with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Verse 37 there. And I will cause you to pass into the rod. And I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. There is a future. A future that Ezekiel there speaks about. That is yet to come for the people of Israel. And as we read through this, we can turn those passages to Zechariah chapter 12 and 13. And there we see the promises in those chapters there. I won't read them, but perhaps you can look them later. Zechariah 12 and 13, where the prophet there says about how there were rebels wanting to the land of Israel, but those that serve and accept the God will be those that know God. In verse 38, we see that. And I will purge out, this is back to Ezekiel 20 rather, but have a look at Zechariah 12 and 13. And there you see similar promises that they will go through a hard time. 
God will bring them back through it. And in verse 38 there, God says to them, And I will purge out from among you the rebels, and them that transgress me. I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel, and they shall know that I am the Lord. And he repeats that, is he not, through those chapters there, about Israel shall know that he is the Lord. Verse 38, then verse 32, And ye shall know that I am the Lord, when I shall bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I lift up mine hand to give it to your fathers. And again in verse 44, And ye shall know that I am the Lord, when I have wrought with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, not according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. He will not deal with them, but it be for his name's sake. And here as we come to the end of the portion, there's a key verse of this chapter, I think, that all these sins came upon the children of Israel, did not come to them primarily because of their wickedness. Did not come upon them primarily because of their corrupt and evil ways. But it is all done that the name of the Lord, the name of Jehovah, may be magnified and may be glorified. His name must be glorified. His name must be magnified. The closing verses of this chapter, verses 45 to 49, it seems, really link in with the prophecy of the following chapter, chapter 21. For there we see the south here is referred to in the land of Judah, which is south of Babylon. And the forest of the south seems to speak of Jerusalem, that self-same city that a prophet is sold to set his face toward and prophesy against in those opening verses of chapter 21. And so we see, as we come through this chapter here, the prophecy, we see in this chapter, chapter 21, the ransacking and demolition, as it were, of Jerusalem. That centre, that capital of Judah, demolished and ransacked. It also speaks later on in the chapter about Rabbath, the capital of Ammon. Both his cities were overturned and taken by Nebuchadnezzar in the fulfilment of the words of the Lord through his servant Ezekiel in this chapter. We see, see here the mention of the sword of the Lord that goes out against Jeru Judah. That self-same sword of the Lord that drove our first parents out of the Garden of Eden and kept the way to the Tree of Life now goes forth against the people, that wicked generation of Israel. We can see here the mercy of God, can we not? In the states that he will firstly remove the righteous from the land. They would not come under that same condemnation, that same judgment that God executes upon the people but they will be removed. So then as he goes forth, he will destroy the wicked and the corrupt people. You'll see in verse 4 there. Seeing then that I will cut off from thee the righteous and the wicked. Therefore shall my sword go forth out of its sheath against all flesh from the south to the north. He will bring those righteous men out. And all the men will know that God has gone forth in judgment. It is he who executes deliverance to the righteous and destruction to the wicked, the wicked ones. How this is reminded that parable that Lord Jesus Christ told, is it not, in Matthew chapter 13, in the parables of the kingdom, and how the wheat and the tares, they grew together until the harvest time. And then the wheat was taken and stored in the garner, and the tares were taken and thrown into fire. The Lord Jesus Christ said, this is the time, the end of the world, the righteous will be taken to live in the kingdom, whilst the wicked were thrown into hell of fire. There is always that division. The sheep and the goats, the wise and the foolish, the straight and narrow way, the broad way, the righteous and the wicked. 
And there we see in that verse 4 here in chapter 21, that same division, the righteous and the wicked. The righteous will be taken out. And so to read on through this chapter, we read a further of a second sort of judgment in verses 8 down to 12. And yet again in verses 13 to 17, a further third sword of judgment that God gives upon his people. The first sword we see, it cuts off the righteous and the wicked. The second sword should be upon the princes of Israel. And the third sword upon the mighty men. The mighty men of Israel. The mighty men of valour in the land. How we see the fullness, do we not then, of the fury of God in this divine completeness of judgment. And then it is in verse 14, 17 rather, that his fury comes to rest. It is complete. I will also smite mine hands together, and I will cause my fury to rest. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Fury comes to rest. The prophet then goes on to speak the overturning of the kings of Judah and of Ammon, but more specifically the kingdom of Judah, as it is overthrown by that wicked king of Babylon. But more significant, perhaps a significant verse in this chapter, are the verses 25 down to 27, where God says, the Lord says, he will remove the diadem. Verse 25, And thou, profane wicked prince of Israel, whose day is come, when iniquity shall have an end, thus saith the Lord God, remove the diadem, and take off the crown. This shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low, and abase him that is high. I will overturn Overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more until he come whose right it is, and I will give it to him. I will give it to him. The Lord will remove the diadem, the crown from the head of the profane and wicked king of Judah. He, that is God, will overturn the throne of Judah, the throne of the seed of David, as is his right. For he is he that sets up kings, and it is he that takes down kings, removes kings. For his name's sake. But then he speaks of that one that is to come. That one whose right it is to reign. That one who he will give the kingdom to. Our Lord Jesus Christ. How Paul speaks this is not. And when he writes to Titus. And he tells him of that glorious appearing. Which is that blessed hope of the believer. When the Lord Jesus Christ will come again. In power and in great glory. He will come in the clouds of glory. And every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that he. And that he alone. Is king of kings. And that he is lord of lords. It is then that the crown be given unto him. And the diadem shall be upon his brow. For the entire world to see. He will be given. The kingdom. By God. Ezekiel enclosed of this chapter with a brief prophecy. In relation to the nation of Ammon. He says that this will be a nation that will be remembered no more. Remembered no more. Unlike Judah and Jerusalem who arise again, this nation will be erased from history and be remembered no more. And how we see, do we not? Ammon is no more a nation in the country of this world. The judgment of God is that they will be judged in the place of their creation, in the land of their nativity. And you will see from Genesis 19 that the nation of Ammon was born from that drunken, incestuous relationship between Lot and his two daughters in the mountain cave near to the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their iniquitous beginning was fulfilled when in verse 29 tells us their iniquity shall have a full end. It says that it is not, whose day is come when their iniquity 
shall have an end. Shall I cause a return to its sheath? I will judge thee in the place where thou wast created, in the land of thy nativity. And I will pour out my indignation upon thee. I will blow against thee in the fire of my wrath and deliver thee into the hand of brutish men and skilful men to destroy. Thou shalt be for fuel to the fire. Thy blood shall be in the midst of the land. Thou shalt be no more remembered. For I, the Lord, have spoken it. We then come to the chapter 22. And here we see the prophet again, giving the charges against the Jews, those of Jerusalem. In chapter 20, we had an account that went back to Egypt and the wilderness journey. But here we have an account, as it were, of their current sins, their current iniquities. Chapter 20 told us about all the times coming out of Egypt and through the wilderness. But here we see in chapter 22, it's talking about the current state of Israel, how they are in Ezekiel's day. And here we see that Ezekiel is to judge the city of the crimes that God himself charges her of. As we go down through the chapter... How we see those charges that are levelled against Judah and Jerusalem. We see in the language that God used them is that bloody city. A city that is full of abominations. We see first we know in verses 2 and 3. That is a bloody city. A city where blood has been shed. A murder has been committed. When we turn back to Genesis 9. We see the commandments that God as they were given to Noah as he and his family emerged from the ark into the new earth. And there in Genesis chapter 9, we see what God says about blood. We see there in verses 4 down to 6, he says there, But the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require it. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of men, hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For an image of God made he man. How we see there the importance in the sight of God the blood of man is. And is not to be shed without requirement of God's hand. And there we see in verse 22, in those verses there, do we know, how it was a bloody city. The city sheddeth blood in the midst of it that a time may come and make if idols against herself to defile herself. For there we see, carrying in verse 3 there, that the city, and indeed the nation, had turned to idols and worshipped and defiled themselves with that which was a pollution to them. They had broken the very first commandment of God that had been given to Moses in making other gods that were no gods, in bowing down to wood and to stone, those objects that had mouths, but could not speak. Those images that had ears, but couldn't hear, hear. Eyes, but couldn't see. Oh, how the nation had fallen, fallen, fallen. How that city, chosen of God, so blessed of God, the place where God had chosen to place his name, had departed from the truth. We then see, come down to verse 7, that Ezekiel is told, they are a nation where disorder and confusion there is in the family unit. The children are disobedient to the parents and go against what the elders of the city had to say. Isaiah, if we turn to Isaiah chapter 3, he speaks of this very self-same attitude too. That very self-same spirit. Isaiah chapter 3 and the verse 5. 
where he says there, And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbour. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honourable. Paul speaks about the same sort of thing, is not in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, where he speaks there about the times at the end, the end time. And he says there in verse 1, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, a sign of the last times. But how we see in this same city here, the indictment goes even further. And God says that his people have become a people that have oppressed the fatherless and the widow. And have used extortion in such oppression. If we turn back to Exodus again, we see there in verse chapter 22, God's commandment in relation to the fatherless and the widow. Exodus chapter 22 and the verse 22. And there he says... Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. That was God's command. This very sect of the nation should not be afflicted, for God would hear their cry, and he would deal in judgment. And in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, God says, He is the one that executed judgment for the fatherless and the widow. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and the verse 18. And he says there, he doth execute, for the Lord your God is the God of gods, it says in verse 17. And it goes on in verse 18 saying, he doth execute the judgments of the fatherless and the widow, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. But here it is in that list of offences that is building up against the princes and the people of the city of Jerusalem. They have shown no care and consideration for this portion, this section of their community. Verse 12 goes on, is it not? Verse 12 tells us further that they are taken by usury and by extortion and again greedily from their neighbours and have forgotten God. And have forgotten God. When we turn to verse, 20, verse 8, we see they profaned and forgotten the holy day and the holy things, the Sabbath day and the holy things. Thou hast despised mine holy things and hast profaned my Sabbaths. It says in verse 26, her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths. And I am profaned amongst them. They have profaned the holy things and the holy day. And how often do we not see that in our own day? The casting off of the things of God, his day, his word. That is all an inlet, is it not? To all kinds of abomination and sin and iniquity. And it is then that God gives people over to their own imaginations. And those imaginations lead to the final indictment. That they have completely given themselves over to lewdness and sexual immorality. Verse 11. And one have committed abomination with his neighbour's wife. Another hath lewdly defiled his daughter-in-law. Another in the hath humbled his sister, his father's daughter. They had truly committed sin. 
the nation truly had a list of whole manner of charges against them that fully justified the wrath of God being poured out upon them. And all this really comes down to the fact in verse 12. Where in verse 12 there, Ezekiel says, or God says, they have forgotten God. They had forgotten God. The one who had chosen them, those many, many years ago, they had forgotten him. The one who had watched over them, as that was I, they had turned over to follow and walk in the ways of the nations round about them. They had forgotten God. This very spirit of disobedience and rebellion was that which God had warned against through Moses when they came to the borders of the promised land, that God would deal with this godless way of life. And so God says to the young prophet that Israel, they have become as dross. Verse 18, son of man, the house of Israel is to me become dross. All they are brass and tin and iron and lead. In the midst of the furnace, they are even the dross of silver. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because ye are all become dross, behold, therefore I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, as they gather silver and brass and iron and lead and tin into the midst of the furnace to blow the fire upon it, to melt it, so will I gather you in mine anger and in my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. They are all become as dross, and he will gather them up and melt them in the midst of the wrath of his fury. The land is not cleansed, it is full of abominations. And here we come to that verse we spoke of right at the start, verse 30. God, he looked for a man. He looked for a man to stand up in the nation. To be a man of honesty. To be a godly man of integrity. And those previous verses inform us before verse 30, they looked amongst the priests. He looked amongst the princes. He looked amongst the prophets. He looked amongst the common men. All the men God looked and he found none. There was no man to stand up and give reason to God that he should save the city. He should save the city from the utter destruction that it should not come upon it. There was not man, one man there to do the job. Amongst the princes, amongst the priests, amongst the prophets, and amongst the people of the land. Not one man at all. How this reminds us of those cities of the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah. And how Abraham, he pleaded for those cities. And yet there was not any to save or to divert the just anger of a holy and a just God. So his God can say justly, for his name's sake, he pours out his wrath and his indignation against the city and he consumes him. There it says in verse 31, Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I consumed them with the fire of my wrath, their own way of my recompense upon their heads, saith the Lord. We then come to the verse 20, the chapter 23 rather, and here again we see it as a work from the Lord in relation to two daughters who were from the same mother. It speaks of two there, it gives us two names, Aholah and Aholibah, her sister. They were mine, and they bear sons and daughters. Thus were their names Samaria is Aholah, and Jerusalem is a holobar. These two names, they are represented by Samaria and Jerusalem. And Samaria represents Israel. And Jerusalem represents Judah. 
The name Aholah means her own tent or tabernacle and speaks how Israel set up their own place of worship when Jeroboam set up his altars at Bethel at Dan. The name Aholibah, that means my tent or my tabernacle is in her, signifying that the temple always remained in Jerusalem, the place that God had chosen to place his name there and was to be the centre of worship for all Israel to come unto Jerusalem. And so the presence of God in the temple seems to be even further aggravate the sins of Jerusalem that we've already been through. God's presence was in Jerusalem, and yet the nation still sinned so badly against him. The Lord says that both these cities have behaved like common whores, and a run of the pagan living of the nations and the kingdoms round about them. It speaks of Israel, who have doted off the idols and gods of the Assyrians, and say that she never really left the idols and the gods of Egypt. But then it goes on to say about Jerusalem, and how it also in saying that Jerusalem signifies that Judah and Jerusalem, they were more corrupt than Israel in her whoredoms, in that she saw the sins and the whoredoms of Israel, of Samaria, and how she lusted after the abomination of the Chaldeans. The Babylonians. And as we go down the chapter, it is there we see that the Babylonians, they stripped them of all their riches, of all their clothes. The sacred things of the temple were taken and used by the idolatrous kings of Babylon for their own entertainments. We can read of all this through the books of Kings and the Chronicles. And then Daniel, in his prophecy, he too alludes to this when he speaks of the temple vessels being used in the party of Belshazzar. And so as we come to verse 28 to verse 35, God declares that he is only going to deliver them into the hand of those who hate them. Verse 28, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will deliver thee into the hand of them who thou hatest, into the hand of them from whom thy mind is alienated, and they shall deal with thee hatefully, and shall take away all thy labour, and shall leave thee naked and bare. And the nakedness of thy whoredoms shall be discovered, both thy lewdness and thy whoredoms. I will do these things unto thee, because thou hast gone a whoring after the heathen, and because thou art polluted with their idols. Thou hast walked in the way of thy sister, therefore will I give her cup into thine hand. Thus saith the Lord God, Thou shalt drink of thy sister's cup deep and large. Thou shalt be laughed to scorn, and had in derision it containeth much. Thou shalt be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, with a cup of astonishment and desolation, with a cup of thy sister, Samaria. Thou shalt even drink it and suck it out, and thou shalt break the sherds thereof, and pluck off thine own breasts, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord, because thou hast forgotten me, and cast me behind thy back. Therefore, bear thou also thy lewdness and thy whoredoms. God declares that he's not even going to deliver them into the hand of those that hate them, but into the hand of those that, that they hate too. And this is all because, we read it in verse 35, they had forgotten God. They had forgotten God. They had cast him behind their back. And they had gone a whoring after the gods that were no gods. That were no gods. 
And so we come into chapter 24. And here we see, do we not, really the culmination of these chapters. And those chapters went before them. We have read all about the sins of Judah and Jerusalem that go right back to the time they were in Egypt and before them. And now we come to that time when Jerusalem is to be destroyed. We can read the historical account of this in 2 Kings chapter 25. And there we have seen that, in, it says in there, 2 Kings chapter 25, in the ninth year, and the tenth month of the reign of the wicked king Zedekiah, and on the tenth day of the month, just as we have here in the start of chapter 24 here, that Zedekiah, having rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, found the encampments of the Babylonian army round about Jerusalem, an encampment that lasted for 18 months until the ninth day of the fourth month in the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the king of Judah. It was on this very day, the ninth year, the tenth month, the tenth day of the month, that the word of the Lord came unto Ezekiel. If you take a look at Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 19, Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 19, we read there, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore love the truth and peace. And there we see, do we not, those months mentioned, the fourth month when encampment finished, and the tenth month when it started, they are amongst those months when... Israel will have a feast and be a cheerful feast and a joyful feast. The restored Jerusalem shall observe these feasts unto the Lord. Zechariah 8 is a chapter that speaks of a future time when the city shall not be called a bloody city, but it shall be called a city of truth. A, <coughs> a city that all the world will acknowledge as a city where God is remembered and not forgotten. For he will be with the Jew. If you look at that at the end of that chapter there, it says there in verse 23, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages, of all nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him as a Jew, saying, We will go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. A future time. When God will not be forgotten. When God will not be pushed out. But God will be acknowledged. God will be remembered and he will be with the Jew. But here we see in verse chapter 24, coming back to Ezekiel, here we see the city here is referred to as a seething pot, which is full of scum. God was going to purge the city of all that was corrupt and evil. And he would take it away from them. Everything that was dear to them, even the sanctuary, he would take it away from them. The parable is told in this chapter here about Ezekiel and how he would lose, as an example, as a picture really to the people of Israel, how he would lose that thing that was really dear to him. His wife will be taken from him, just as Jerusalem was taken. And Jerusalem would not, could not mourn. And so Ezekiel was told not to mourn for his wife. When the wife is taken from him, Ezekiel here was to be a sign to the children of Israel. They did not mourn for their iniquities. How we read that from that chapter 24 there. They didn't mourn for their iniquities. They pined away one to another. 
as to why this has all come upon them. They did not see that God's name had been dishonoured and that he had been forgotten by his people. They thought they could just go from day to day to day, living as they always lived, and that God would do nothing about it, that God's honour, God's glory, was being polluted in their very forgetfulness about him. And so as we come to close this chapter, we see Ezekiel has spoken all that he can speak. All that he can say, he has spoken. He has told the people of the wickedness. He has told the people of the corruptness of the nation and of Jerusalem in particular. He has told them of the sin of the people. He has told them of the judgments that must come upon the city and that God would take away all the glory of the city. The Ezekiel, he would be a sign, a very sign unto them that there will be no real repentance. No real mourning for sin. Just an outward pining that they had been badly treated, unfairly treated by a God. And he could now say no more. And so God says that he would be dumb and speak no more until one came from the city to tell the truth of his prophecies. It would be then that the people indeed know that God was the Lord. We read it in those last two verses, or those last three verses there. It says there, verse 24, Thus Ezekiel is unto you a sign. According to all that he hath done shall ye do. And when this cometh, ye shall know that I am the Lord God. Also, thou son of man, shall it not be in that day when I take their, from them their strength, the joy of their glory, the desire of their eyes, and that whereon they set their minds, their sons and their daughters, that he that escapeth that he that escapeth in that day shall come unto thee to cause thee to hear it with thine ears. In that day shall thy mouth be open to him which is escaped, and thou shalt speak, and be no more dumb, and thou shalt be a sign to them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. They will know that the Lord, he is God. He is the great I am that appeared to Moses. He is Jehovah, that great covenant-keeping God. So as we turn over, and we come to these, chap- these verses, perhaps in a later date, to chapter 33 and verse 21, we see there indeed, in verse 21, And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, in the fifth day of the month, that one that that had come, escaped out of Jerusalem, came unto me, saying, The city is smitten. The city is smitten. Now the hand of the Lord was upon me in the evening, after he had escaped, came, and had opened my mouth, until he came to me in the morning, and my mouth was opened, and I was no more done. No more done. So it is there. One escapes. Comes and relays the news of the city that Jerusalem is smitten and Ezekiel is dumb no more. We have looked tonight perhaps at prophecies that occurred many years ago. But prophecies that are still influencing the world in which we live, even this present time. 
In chapter 22, verse 15, we read, did we not there, that God would scatter the nation. He said there, and I will scatter thee among the heathen, and disperse thee in the countries, and will consume thy filthiness out of thee. God will scatter the nation. He will scatter the people among the heathen, among the Gentiles, among the nations. They will be dispersed in all countries, and there will God consume them of their filthiness. Consume the filthiness out of them. We're in chapter 24 and 2 Kings 25. We read of Nebuchadnezzar come up against the city, laying siege to it, and then carrying away all the people away. Sight was they were dispersed, never to return in fullness again, right to this present day. Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem are a people scattered across the world. They are amongst the heathen. They are there across the whole world from the east to the west. God is cleansing his people. They have taken their inheritance and made lives for themselves in the sight and places of the heathen. And how it says there in verse 16 there. And thou shalt take thy inheritance in thyself in the sight of the heathen. And thou shalt know that I am God. God is still dealing with his people in judgment. Just as he said he would do by Ezekiel and the other prophets too. He looked for a man, did he not? He looked for a man to make up the hedge. He looked for a man to stand in the gap. But there was no man. There was no man there of honesty and integrity. But there will come a day. There will come a glorious day. When one will stand in the hedge. When one will make up the gap. One will come to deliver his people Israel and he will wear the diadem and none shall take it from his head for God will give it unto him. God will give it unto him because it is his right to wear it. Yes, we've read in chapter 1, 21, 26, 27 there about God removing the diadem. That man is our saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ who will come in the brightness of his glory. Come in and he will overturn. He will overturn. He will overturn. And it is his right. And God will give him the crown of his father David. Then it will be that these truths contained in these prophecies and other prophecies that we may have touched on, briefly in Zechariah 8 we touched on, will come to pass. And they will be fulfilled in the minutest detail. Oh, how we can say, hasten on that glorious hour. Hasten on that glorious hour. If we turn to Romans chapter 10, we read a portion there where Paul gives a, a stark warning, really, to the Gentile church. He speaks there in Romans 10, verse 11. And, and he says there in verse 11, down to verse 21. I think I've got the wrong portion there. No, Romans 9. No, Romans 11, Romans 11, verse 11, there we are, sorry, Romans 11, verse 11. I say then, had they stumbled that they should fall, God forbid, but rather through their fall salvation is come unto the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. 
If by any means I may provoke emulation, them which are of my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall be the receiving of them be? But life from the dead. For if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so the branches. And if some of the branches are be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not thy boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches are broken off, that aren't be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they are broken off, and we spoke about it tonight, we not. Ezekiel spoke about that, they are broken off, and thou standest by faith, be not high minded. But fear, for if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. And how Paul warns here is not, we should not treat these prophecies lightly, but should learn from iniquities of Israel, Judah and Jerusalem. Their sin was they forgot God. They hearkened not to his commands. They lusted after other gods and the ways of the nations round about them. We can see Little by little, the compromising effect of the nations about them crept into their way of life. And our God is a jealous God, a God who will not give or share his glory with another. Let us beware. Be in the world, but not of the world. Do not yearn after the things of this world, the broken systems, but seek in all things to give God the glory and praise his holy name then we can be like Ezekiel. We will know, like Ezekiel knew, the strength of God from day to day. We will know that God strengthens. And let us be men that in our day, in our generation, we make up the hedge. We stand in the gap for the glory of God. We do not forget who God is. We do not forget his will, his ways. We do not forget his word. And how we ought to be those who read the word of God. Prayerfully. All the word of God. Study it. To know what God is saying. So that we can be those who stand in the gap. When the Israelites came back into Jerusalem in the time of Nezra and Nehemiah. They read from the book of the law. And they found in the book of the law that they hadn't been doing things that God had commanded. Since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, they hadn't been doing the things that God had commanded because they had forgotten God. And it was then in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, when they came back from the captivity in a small part, that they started to obey God and kept the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles. And we read in Nehemiah, how they rejoiced. How they were glad in being obedient. Let us be like those returning Jews. Read our Bibles. All our Bibles. Even this book of Ezekiel. That can be so difficult at times to read and understand. And then we will be those that rejoice. Rejoice in what God is saying. And rejoice in what God is doing. And rejoice in the knowledge that we are obedient to his commands. And that we can stand in that gap to the glory of God. Amen.